one of the things that happens in that teen years of life, it's like the narrative we as men is if, if he even touches you, I'll kill her or I'll kill him. He takes you out for a prom. And I'm just like, don't ever talk to her like that because if he does touch, teach her or if he does touch her in ways that she doesn't need to be touched, you're the last person she's going to come to. Is that what you want? Because that's not healthy for her if she's going through that. So she needs to be able, you need to be able to create a space where they can go to either parent and voice some of those very difficult things and not be scared to come and talk to some of the things that they're going through. What, and if you're fearful of your big feelings, that's exactly why you should be in therapy in the first place. Right. Do not be fearful of things or figure out what you want to do with your fear. fear. Right. You know, listen to podcasts like this, listen to self-improvement book, or read books that teach you how to better become aware of your emotions, what to do with your emotions when you have them, regulate them so you know how to do, okay, my daughter just told me that, I'm freaking out and I'm about to... Welcome to Dads on Deadlist podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. Also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts and hopefully you guys are enjoying all the episodes so far and as you all know season two have launched last week with my interview with Priya and I had such a great time talking to her about the difference between how you live life accepting what you have versus uh, expecting what you don't have and the joy of gratefulness and uh, you guys who haven't heard this episode please go and take a listen because you your heart would f be filled with gratitude if you guys haven't done already like subscribe click the follow button if you're listening on spotify leaving reviews for the episodes you're listening and tag dads and deadlifts on social media and leave feedback on happy episodes what you like what you don't like and uh, that gives me an idea of what kind of content can I bring serve you guys. Now, getting back to today's episode. Today's episode is an amazing woman uh, I had the honor to talk to. And as a matter of fact, I say this all about all my guests. And the only reason I do this is because I'm very, very, very selective about my guests because of the fact that this podcast is for a very niche community. 
very grateful for all the likes and reviews and all the following so far. So keeping that in mind, I wanted to start season two uh, with some uh, good episodes where we talk about this neuroscience behind trauma affects men and women. And uh, we kind of get into the details of how it affects men and how it's very difficult for men to admit and uh, different modalities, how trauma shapes our behavior and how we want to, why we want to avoid it. And uh, so I do want to bring today's guest for another uh, episodes pretty soon because of different modalities she served. So without further ado, let's welcome today's guest, Gunjani Patel. And she is a licensed trauma specialist. She is a host of Traumatic Transformations podcast. And she has a story so powerful that I wanted to have a coach, a professional to teach us about the coaching and the therapy side and the science of it. But hearing a story about her own life and how her pain got her to where she is today, bring awareness that the therapist that's helping you have also been where you are. So you are not alone. And as you guys would know, that's always my message. And let's hear it from our guest today, Gunjani. Gunjani, welcome to Dads and Deadlifts. Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, wow, what an introduction. Woo, this makes <laughs> me want to celebrate life. <laughs> there you go. We should, we should, we should. Let's start with uh, a little bit background, a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, we kind of go from there. Awesome. Okay. So I'll try to sum it um, <laughs> from start to finish. I'll start from where I am right now and I'll go back and give you a little background of who I am and why I became what I became. I'm, I identify myself as South, a South Asian. I grew up part of my life in um, India. My parents and my family still live there, but you know, I live in America now in San Diego, California, to be precise. So I'm a licensed mental health therapist. I work, um, I own a private practice here and in Florida. I'm licensed in both states so we technically only practice where we're licensed in the way mental health works here um so i'm also a trauma specialist because after having gone through everything that i had gone through and then finally and partially also um just taking you back to where um you know, one of the things that my program required as a part of us graduating was, um, you know, you need to be on the other side of the couch so you know what it feels like when people come to you. And growing up South Asian, I never thought there was anything wrong with me. I mean, what do you mean I have to go seek therapy? Everybody else needs to go seek therapy. In the meantime, my life was quite falling apart, but I, I wasn't ready to acknowledge that to myself. And I think most of the time people, a lot of us live in denial till we get to the crisis, because one of the things that I teach in trauma and emphasize with trauma that, you know, if we have unresolved trauma, whether, and again, the word trauma to me means um, trauma lies in the eye of the beholder and trauma doesn't, uh, you can't think your way out of trauma, you know, no matter how much we try, how much we think, you know, we're just like, oh, if I think over time, it'll just get better over time, I need to just get over it. Or the message as a society we're raised with is, you know, you just get over things. And sometimes you can't just get over things there. It's not that easy. Most people don't realize that it's like, and the word trauma, and I really at this point, because, and, and that was one of the reasons why I launched my podcast, because I want to do my best at this point, because, you know, it's like, I just think that more people die of suicide 
or, you know, than COVID, given where we're at, you know, mm -hmm. and we only tend to talk about suicide in the month of September, because that's Suicide Awareness Month. And, you know, unfortunately, I want to break that cycle. And I want to break many cycles. That's one of them. But, you know, unfortunately, I just feel like if we normalize trauma, if we normalize seeking mental health, if we normalize, you know, mental health, more people and as a society we would just be such healthier nation and communities um instead of putting each other down instead of thinking there is nothing wrong uh just looking at other people's facebook profile pictures and pictures we think everything is great uh, i get the privilege of working with the people behind the pictures you know and everything everybody most of the time like i was and i i think i was quite ignorant for that now i've learned and I think just growing up, we just, we think seeking help is, everybody else needs to seek help. Like if we're going through career choices, that's therapy too. There, people just think you have to be crazy or in crisis to seek therapy. But in my world, it's like, if you have a mind, you need to seek therapy, you know, because everybody could use some help at some point. It's not, it's like when we buy a car, we don't say, hey, you know what? I'll just get gas once, that's it. Therapy is just someone you can talk to to become a better version of yourself, whether you're working in a particular goal, mm -hmm. whether you're working to heal yourself from a traumatic situation. And it doesn't mean that you just have to go through a natural disaster or have to be raped or, you know, have to be um, lo lose someone to or a loved one or something major have to happen. In my world, we, there's a concept called small T, which is, you know, you go through breakups, bad relationships, bad divorces, stillborns, you know, we wait till it happens, instead of as a society being preventative, knowing and educating and learning about some of these things, so we can help other people who are going through it just by being less judgmental and being more empathetic. That's one of the biggest things that I learned that's a part of my treatment because, you know, I, I received treatment from someone. So I, I finally decided to go into therapy. I'm like, let me just check it out and see what it's like. And then in the meantime, I was going through a divorce. I actually went, my husband and ex-husband and I at that time, um, he actually came, he, I wanted children. He didn't, we were interracial marriage and, you know, he was 15 years older than me. Very unheard of in the South Asian culture at that time, but hey, that was the choice I made. But over time, like, so before that, I'll just fast forward to, I mean, rewind back to where I started out with just like, you know, growing up, I wanted to become a surgeon. If you're a South Asian, you become a doctor or an engineer, nothing else matters, you know, so that and then in my teen years, I went through sexual trauma by someone I, I knew. And um, it was just something we don't talk about. We don't tell our parents. It was someone I was related to. So it was just like, okay, you know, how do I even address this? Because then there's all this complexity of shame. There's, oh, what are they going to think? What is their family going to think? Should I bring this up? Is anybody going to believe me? All of those things, right? And it just let, four years of that just led me to a place where I just felt so invisible. And then I had my 10th boarding exam, which is like very determining exam in terms of India, where you determine, you know, whether you're going to go to engineering or med school. And if you end up with 60%, you ain't going even to art school at that point, you know? So I was just like, what? Okay. And then I just, it fell apart. And one of the reasons why that also happened with the sexual trauma was 
few months before my board exam, I had like the third degree burn. There was all this stuff happened and it was just, I, the doctors were surprised that I even made it through that. I almost had to relearn how to walk. And all of that was happening right around the time I was supposed to be sitting and studying around this time of the year, actually. Diwali is supposed to be a big deal. And I was getting, you know, the, the whole concept of that happened. And I was just like, now nobody's going to want to marry me. So as a teenager, as a 16 year old, you, you are into boys, you like boys, you do things, you know? So it's just like, I was in boarding school, but so all of that happened. I was just like, okay, that part of my life is gone to the career part of my life is gone to. So then I, in that midst of that, I got an opportunity to come to America. So my parents, you know, my dad asked me if I wanted to come study here. I was like, sure. So I figured out somehow, you know, I would be doing dietetics and I would still be in the hospital realm. So I would be helping people, you know, somehow if not a doctor, but at least someone that can work in hospital and help people. I was like, all right. So I figured I would do that. I came to America and, um, you know, I started my grad school. I mean, I started my undergrad. I went back home and I'm like, oh my God, I could still become a doctor and my dog my dad was like absolutely not we sent you there to do one thing don't jump around do it and come right back and I was like it was devastating to me again like I said trauma lies in the die I have the beholder to my 18 year old self that was the most devastating thing that I could have heard for him it was just like get over it you'll get over it no you don't get over some of those very pivotal things in your life but that happened. So then I ended up, um, as a part of my internship, I ended up meeting my husband and we got married. I helped him with the book tour. He was writing a book on marketing. He was all about entrepreneurship. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. And it was amazing. So I wanted to pursue that part of my life. And I knew I had to become something and do something if you know, being a doctor was not an option. So then our marriage in the meantime was falling apart. I wanted children. He didn't. We. I later realized that when I first met him, my 23-year-old brain couldn't decide if I wanted a child or not. At that point, I was so lost that I was like, what? And that worked for him, but it didn't work for me as I grew. And, I, and that happened. So all of that compiled together. I went to my therapist who specialized in addiction. And, you know, um, <laughs> she was the best thing that actually happened to me. So I went through her and she was just like, wow, a lot going on. So we did this EMDR treatment. I also specialize it. And now I, I won't get into the detail of that, but uh, pretty much it, she, she, so she would look at me and she would go, wow, you're so strong and magnificent. And I'm just like, you treat addictions. Are you on crack that you just told me that, that, and the, the, Anything she told me that was possibly good about me, I wasn't able to believe because over the years, my self-esteem has been had been so shot and the person I had become as a result of all of that was just so um, not the greatest. So, you know, she helped me put myself back together to resolve some of those things, to figure out what I wanted to be and who I wanted to be. And it was like one of the best things happened. It was a year long treatment. It wasn't fun. At times I would come home and I felt like I got hit by a train. But, you know, I had to work through those emotions. I had to work through those things. Um, so the whole concept of, you know, therapists being this, we are not put on this pedestal that, you know, there is nothing wrong with us is not the concept. And it's also a lot of South Asian community, the narrative that I hear is, oh, you had a lot of problems and you were weak. That's why you went into the mental health profession. And I wanted to change that narrative because everybody goes through issues. We just happen to be the people who actually voice it. So, you know, um, I, and I feel proud about that. So um, here I am. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, that's, that's an amazing uh, way to sum it up because uh, guys, uh, listen, I mean, if you, if you haven't checked out uh, Gunjani's uh, 
podcast, Traumatic Transformations. Uh, she talks a little bit more in detail about this uh, journey on episode one. And I was listening to it and I was telling her that it's, it's really uh, just a very, very, very powerful story. So let's let's and let's talk about and i'm gonna come to that what you said south asian culture and i'm i'm also uh from indian uh culture and south asian and i know exactly where you're coming from uh we it's not that we don't have mental health issues and you if you have a brain if you have a health just like if you have a body you have a health you go to work Absolutely. out the same way you do uh yes. you, we just have to take care of it we just have created such a uh stigma around it and no one wants to speak up. No one wants to talk about it. And uh, I think like that's where uh, podcasts and uh, people like you and me and there's so many other people, we all are meeting around this realm. Uh, realm. It's uh, it, that to break this cycle. Absolutely. Uh, you talked about EMDR and I didn't want to get into it immediately, but definitely I want to bring it up at some point of our conversations because I know for a fact there's like a lot of debate about mm. that modality because mm. uh, during during my journey um, I kind of was introduced to that I didn't really get into it uh, mm. not because I didn't believe in it I, I, sure. at one point I was like ready to try anything uh-huh. so I tried hypnotherapy and I tried CBT sure. and that um, so definitely I want to talk a little bit about like bring awareness to my um, audience uh, my audience because I think like people a lot of audience are getting used to these tools that people are talking about NLP and CBT and hypnotherapy, but not a, not a lot of people are talking about EMDR. And I, I personally feel like it's very intriguing. I do want to try at some point. Um, so interestingly, what you said is um, as a, as a therapist, now you see that transformation in you because mm-hmm. you, you, it's a constant work in progress, right? Like, oh, absolutely. It's not Our like life is a done. constant work in progress. And I'm one of those people. And I right. know that everybody's is not, but I have designed and created my life to be through, uh, through my journey to be a person who now over time, now I'm, I just turned 40 this last Christmas. So I'm like, ah, this decade has to be, you know, the best decade of my life, given everything, you know, the hell and back that I've been through yes. and the life continues to teach me more and more. Um, like this thirties were my decade of entrepreneurial experiences that I took up that didn't work. And I'm just like, Hmm. And then I just read up somewhere really a quick fun fact uh, where, uh, you know, it's like, and if you set goals, experience, expect, only 40% of your 40% expect 40% of your goals to not come true. You know, like companies like Google, like Larry Page, all of those people, they set big goals. They only expect 60 to 80% of them to work out. And the ones that do work out the 60, 80%, they end up into leading, uh, you know, they end up into products like Google photos, YouTube, you know, um, Gmail, But there are so many things that we try that don't work, but that doesn't mean that those full failures, they are the stepping stone to who we become today. And I wish I looked at, you know, suffering as a gift as I was going through it, which I wish somebody had taught me that. But uh, now I absolutely do that. It's just in the mindset of how we look at things. It's like, if we look at the, if we are into suffering and if we ask ourselves the right question, instead of saying, why is this happening to me? Why does this keep happening over and over? One of the things, I, I, and I truly believe this, that life is the only place where we get the lessons after the test. And if we keep getting, we get, keep getting the same test over and over till we pass it. So instead, the questions to ask is, what am I learning from this? 
how am I becoming my better self and how can I continue to improve at what is happening in my life? Right. And I think like that's, that's a powerful statement is like, you know, you keep getting the same test over and over again, and you eventually you will, you will pass. And also understanding that why is it happening? And I'll add to that is like how you can serve. And that's, I feel like that's what you were doing. You took your pain, you understand, and you actually healed and you actually went to a profession. Now you're healing others. And because you are bringing that huge uh, learning experience Absolutely. I totally am paying it forward at this point, so to speak, Rish, because I, if I wouldn't have been through all the things that I've been, been through, I wouldn't have anything to talk about. I would Mm -hmm. just be, you know, someone who is just preaching and not someone who's experienced uh, something. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted my podcast to be a place where I love like trauma therapy. I love the 20 people because I work part-time. I have a two and a half year old. So I've only limited my practice to part-time, but at this point with everything happening in COVID, I'm definitely seeing like the surge in my practice because I specialize in depression, anxiety, PTSD, uh, addictions, and grief and loss. I mean, that's a major heavy loaded stuff, mm-hmm. which absolutely can be treated. And that's, that's the best part. That's one of the reasons why I keep doing EMDR because I just feel like there has to be, because I'm trained in NLP, um, clinical hypnotherapy. And, you know, I, I, I really believe in the subconscious work that you need to do if you have been through hardcore trauma it doesn't just cbt just talk therapy doesn't work and it's not enough sometimes i there is a time and place depending on what stage of your journey you're in and to me in terms of treatment and therapy too i'm very big believer of just like trauma is your own experience your treatment has to be your own experience your healing has to be the modalities that you believe in the therapist that you go to definitely guys therapist search interview you know it's like the the therapeutic alliance that you form with your therapist absolutely exacerbates your healing some men will only go to men and that's okay some men Mm -hmm. will go to females because they think that it's more they're more empathetic it doesn't matter who you go to but as long as you're going to someone because when we are in the midst of the issue we can see the blind spots that might be there that can help in our healing when we're going through it alone so asking for help doesn't mean you're weak, it just means that you have the courage to say, I'm ready to see the blind spots that keep giving me the same spots or same tests over and over by someone else who is not in my shoes. Right. And I think like this is a perfect time to actually have this uh, question because I was actually about to go there anyway. Yeah. In your 12 years of practice. Yeah. Right. And of course, before that, throughout your uh, studying. Yeah. Um, and of course, my audience is list, uh, really geared towards men and how yeah. to show up as vulnerable and authentic and really accepting it that it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We all go through this. It doesn't take away from in your masculinity or it doesn't Absolutely. take away from your macho or patriarchal uh, ego that we have created. Um, let's talk about like, what do you see in your practice that what are those uh, areas that men struggle a lot with in terms of therapy? in terms of finding and talking, even, even if, if, even if they get a therapy therapist, uh, just to open up and, uh, how, how do you navigate that? What message do you have for men that once they have understood like, okay, I think I am ready and how they can take that step and what they should really think about, uh, and how they can open up to a therapist. So you asked me a whole bunch of questions. So if right. I miss anything, uh, let me know. And okay. I will answer that because my wheels are turning as I was talking to you. So from a personal front and 
being a woman and a therapist, because again, we are trained as therapists to be very, very uh, hyper vigilantly able to look at a person's culture, what they identify with, a person's gender, what they identify with, a person's sex, what they identify with, and their culture and race and what they identify with. Just because you are South Asian looking doesn't mean that you might be, we don't assume that you are South Asian. So one of the biggest things that we do is as therapists, and I was trained in that because my, cult, my, my program was very heavily focused on multicultural and social justice issues. And one of the reasons when you mentioned earlier about you know, the cultural aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So when I was from, so I'll tell you about the, 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 the things that I found in my professional life. So I, as I was graduating, one of the things that I studied as my independent thesis to graduate from school was stigma associated with mental health because I came from a culture and I, I identified heavily being Indian at the time because I, I hadn't been here long enough. Now I've been here half and half, you know, in America and India. So I sort of identify with being Indian and American. Um, but one of the things that I saw and I wanted to study because I got my grad, uh, degree in North Dakota, which was a very stoic Norwegian population, which was very similar, even though they were in race white, but very similar in terms of their thinking um, as South Asian or, you know, very stoic as it relates to mental health. And, you know, men can't seek help and men should just figure it out on their own and that kind of mentality. And I did find in my study that, yes, men were, they, they faced similar issues as women, but they were less susceptible to seeking help um, than women. And so, I, so looking at it from the personal lens, like for me, right, just for myself, and I can't generalize it for all the women and all the Indian women or just women. Um, so, okay, so when, when you're vulnerable or when you're authentic as a guy, right? Because, you know, it's like, we, I understand the purpose of masculinity. I get it. I, I see that there is a reason for it, but so the women that you end up being with, let's say if your partner is a woman and you end up being with, women find it sexy when men have emotions. They find it amazing when you can voice that you have an emotion as long as you can regulate it. Because there is a whole concept, just like you know, we focus so much on IQ, IQ, intelligence, intelligence, smart. We don't focus on EQ, which is emotional intelligence, which is just as important, and PQ, which is now an emerging field of science that talks about positive intelligence. But it's it's not just about having it's about knowing that whether we are men, whether you're men or women, we have we all have emotions. Emotions are not a bad thing. They're an alert system for us to figure out what is going on in our body, because trauma is not just all in our head. We absolutely have a very strong mind, body, brain and spirit connection to the trauma where we store our traumas. It's not just, oh, it happened in our brain and it stays there. There is all these, we have 66, the 86 billion neurons that are each connected to 10,000 other neurons and they travel across the body. They don't just stay in your brain. So when you are dealing with some of these things and if you don't resolve it over time, it compounds and it gets worse over time. Or it has a way like a pressure cooker, it just releases pressure every so often. And in men, it most of the time ends up looking as anger, you know, aggression and all those things that we associate with, oh, anger is just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath anger, there is so much hurt, so much pain, so much shame, so much guilt, disappointment, betrayal, all these big heavy feelings that we as men, oh no, I'm a man, I'm supposed to be strong. So I won't, you know, 
feel anything or I'll just get over it or I won't acknowledge this to anybody. It ends up then exhibiting itself as uh, addictions or in other substance use or, you know, um, other dysfunctional, non-adaptive ways of being and living. So at some point, if you don't address it, then you, and one of the things with trauma that I find over time, depression, anxiety, trauma, 50% genetically predisposed, whether you like it or not, you're giving it to your children. So if you don't address it, if you don't heal, 40% is your perception. So your perception is based on an event based on where you grew up, what were your values growing up? What did, what, how do you look at life now before you have the children? And 10% is environmental. So, you know, when the trauma was occurring. So if 50% is genetically predisposed and you pass it on to your children, they, at some point, anything can happen that can trigger that in them. So if you haven't adapted or if you haven't resolved some of that, imagine how it's going to exhibit in them. So if you have adapted, if you have healed, if you've gone and sought therapy for it, and if you show your child that, yes, you know what? You're going to experience emotions. You're going to go through these big, heavy feelings. Let me teach you what to do with those feelings. Let's channel it in a positive direction that can actually help you instead of stuffing it all in. And then at some point, it's going to catch up to you. That's what I find. I, I work with people as young as 70 years old to as old as eight, 90 years old. At some point, it catches up. I, and I've seen that in people from all walks of life. So if we adapt, then we know and we can teach by role modeling. Kids learn by what we what they see, not by what we say. So right. it's really important that you show them adaptive ways. It's not to say once you're healed, you're not going to be ever angry. You're not going to do things that are non-adaptive. But you at least can tell them that, like, for example, I'm just going to use my story for my son, right? Sometimes I'll get really mad and I'm like blowing up my gasket. And then I really feel bad after. So I go up to him and I, even my Twitter, that I'm so sorry. Mommy had a hard day. I'm, I'm having all these feelings and I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I hope you're okay. Are you okay? And having that conscious parenting factor mm -hmm. to it. So not just parenting, but, you know, as a society, we would be so much better if we didn't walk around spewing our hurt, no, hurt on other people. Mm -hmm. But if we were more healed, we can help other people heal. So I really think it's important, whether you're a man or a female, you have to at some point figure out what's going on for you. How do you deal with your big emotions? And how do you not hurt other people in your family or in your friends or your colleagues because of some of the stuff that you're going through and that's unresolved? Wow. Right. It's go, it goes, it goes, it's so much I can say. I mean, so much I can talk about. Like, let, let me, let me, let me start off with uh, how you ended. Like, you know, like, um, I love this quote. I don't know who said it, but you know, it's uh, there like hurt people, hurt people. And Absolutely. Uh, same thing as you said, like a healed people, heal people, you know, like you have to change your concept. You have to understand like, this is, uh, this is something that mind body connection and we are passing this like, our children are looking at us like you can pretend, but they're exactly. smart. They uh, so I grew up with a dad who actually identified with, I don't have emotions, just figure it out. And so I never learned emotions. And imagine having gone through all this, you know, 
major disappointments in my life where my mom was the only role model for emotion, I grew up thinking men can have emotion. So after my ex-husband, I actually took a, you know, a good 10 year break before I met someone because I had, I was another serious relationship, but he had alcoholism issues. So I was just like, that was not right for me. And then, you know, I found my husband now, but I promised myself that I would not marry a man who did not have emotions. I will not marry a man who didn't know how to talk, how to communicate. I will not marry a man who was not a good father to my child because I didn't want to grow up bring children into this world and cause them damage knowingly and consciously what it can do to a child when a man has unresolved attachment or trauma issues. Right. That's not right. It's just not right. And I think like it goes to say that I talk in my podcast a lot uh, with a lot of guests and even myself is that like the stigma of man up that how we have yes. created this completely stupid BS toxic phrase man up Right. And what's happening is it goes both ways now. One, you are actually, it's preventing men to actually seek help because we have to man up. Otherwise, my friends and my peers, my colleagues, my partners, everyone's going to be like thinking less of me. And right. secondly, you are creating a culture for your kids saying like, oh, if my dad is like this, as you said, now you're, you're not breaking the cycle. You're just continuing the cycle. Exactly, exactly. You're not My changing dad, dad still today believes a mental health is just because you guys don't do things right anymore. And I'm like, oh my God. Right. That's okay. I've forgiven him. He has his place and that's how right. he thinks. I can't change that, but I can change the next generation and how I think and right. my generation of people because mental health is not just in your head. Right. And then I also want to uh, bring up a little bit about what you said about the, when you said like, I will marry a man who has emotions and it's, it's very good and very proactive of you because I still feel because of this cultural stigma. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, not to say, not to really bash women. It's like, basically we all are part of where we are, right? Like in yes. this society. So women are involved in it too. So when we are seeing men should be certain. Yes. And when a woman seeing a man with emotions, now they're questioning themselves like, hold on a minute. Does he have codependency issue? Does he have some sort of, you know, like a grown up issues? Like why is he so much emotional? So it goes both ways. And I'm seeing all of it, like, and grateful for this podcast with the stories. And even in my life, you know, throughout and so talk a little bit about that too, uh, from your perspective as a professional and how really like next gen, we are talking about next generation, right? Mm -hmm. So let's do, okay. So let me kind of focus the question here um, with your background, with mm -hmm. your trauma and grief and PTSD and your neuroscience background, uh, talk a little bit about like how men can really they under so you talked a little bit about how they can go to therapy and what their why should be for kids and do not pass the trauma let's talk a little bit about what's for the next generation because in your podcast what's really interesting what i learned and that's where it's, i'm going there you talked a little bit about prefrontal cortex like the the growth mm -hmm. the neuroscience behind it so can you just talk a little bit about it like and how we as parents as men Yes. Keep that in mind for our kids, for our next generation. So I, I you said something earlier that really um, I had to mention this. So one of the things that you had you had mentioned was with men and therapy and you know seeking help and how man up concept, right? 
it, to me, it, I, I see the place for that, but one of the things I want to take a moment to educate people on that is that therapy is an absolute confidential environment. Unless you're going around telling people or if your friends and family, we're not going to go around telling everybody else that you are in therapy. So if you must do better for yourself, you can go to therapy and not tell the entire world what you've been to and plaster it, plaster it on your social media. Right. You know, so I think it's really important to keep in mind that therapy therapy is an absolutely confidential and place. And the other thing I was mentioning it on one of the other podcasts I was on, I also market myself as life and wellness coach. To me, because there is a stigma associated with it, I do that because I also want to, re and that's one of the reasons why I see both men and women in my practice, because, oh, if you're going to a coach, that's okay. But if you're going to a therapist, oh, I'm not crazy. I don't need to go to a therapist. I do the same thing. I'm the same person. So the idea is to provide people with an absolute non-judgmental, safe place. Because when you go through trauma, that's one of the things that happens. Your sense of security and the, your belonging in this world is absolutely threatened, which causes trauma in the first place, you know? So my job as a therapist is to provide you with a safe, non-judgmental, I'm not here, I'm not Dr. Phil trying to tell you what to do with your life. You know, that's not what therapy is. A therapy is a place where we figure out what you want to do, what your values are, what you have been working, what your beliefs are and how they're self-limiting you to be the best version of yourselves. And how can we figure out where you want to go in life and my job is just to guide you there and to you know show you the blind spots that you might not be able to see by yourself. Um, so, what was the next part of your question? Because so I, I think like the I'm next part of the question, like how can as men? Um, mm. So I think like before I go to the next part, like I actually have a question right now. What you said. Yes. So I, I absolutely love that, and I actually uh, really understand what you're saying. Like you don't have to plaster on social media and like oh I'm going to therapy. Um, right. But your partner. Yes. As men, how can we talk about that? Like when our partner is not very like, so not, I should not, not supportive of that or not informed about that. Like, uh, are just misinformed what therapy is. Like, why right. do you need someone to go talk about your life? That's the narrative that people hear. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, you don't need someone to talk to about it. Talk to your friends. So I guess in that way, you can take that opportunity to be, you know, it's like you don't just go to therapy when you're in crisis. You don't just go to therapy because you're crazy. You go to therapy because you feel stuck and you want to get to a place. It's like you, you didn't go to school. I mean, you go to school to become something, right? Therapy is that school to become what you want to become because you don't know how to figure it out on your own. Otherwise, you would be self-educated and not gone to school at all. Therapy oh, is yeah. right? It's you're, you tell your partner that I'm going to learn about some of the things I feel stuck with, not that you are not good at it, but I just need someone third person that I can bounce my ideas by and figure out so we can be better for each other and for our children. Right. So my next question is and I love that idea. I mean, I love how you kind of explain that with the schooling thing. It's amazing. I, I never heard. If we that go to before. school, we're not weak because right. we're just supposed to go to school. Right. Why aren't just, we just supposed to go to therapy? It's just, just how you word it, isn't it? 
it's just absolutely it's therapist versus coach and like school versus therapy yeah. i love it I love yeah. it it's all about personal development it's all about self improvement how can you improve to become the best version of yourself we're so busy worrying about what people are going to think what what what, what, what how their life is better how they are doing better why aren't we inspired like to me i always like to surround myself with people places or things that is going to make me better me at this point mm-hmm. i used to be the, that people person who used to compare myself to everybody else and that just left left me feeling more uh insecure more grief more you know just not enough and at this point i'm just like i'm all i got with or without a man you know so i need to go out there and make it happen and I will go through my downtimes and that's okay. I mm-hmm. recognize that I'm going through my downtimes, but you know what? It's teaching me something. What am I learning and how can I become the better version of myself? 10% better than I was yesterday. Right. I mean, this is amazing. This goes to the fact that, you know, like my dad used to always tell me <clears throat> growing up, my dad was a teacher in India that you are one person, no matter what the society tells you, remember one thing, you are one person that you are always with you 24-7. Not your partner, Absolutely. not your dad, you not your mom, not your kids. You have. And then all your other relationships matter. So if your That's relationship it. with yourself is not explored, because right. as men, we're not supposed to think about that. What do you yeah. mean relationship with myself? I'm fine. I know where I'm going. I'm making all this money. Just because you're making money doesn't mean that you are content, grateful, that all these other categories of your life are figured out, you know? Yeah. Life is at balance when, because a lot of rich people can be very sick. A lot of rich people cannot age well, or, you know, you are doing great, but then you don't have any money. You're living paycheck to paycheck. Oh, you're very smart, but you don't know where you're going in life. You don't have a purpose. So I really feel like if you explore all categories of your life, as in your physical health, your hobbies and activities, your spiritual health, your intellectual health, your emotional health, your relationships, romantic relationships, your relationship with your kids, you know, your uh, quality of life and your vision of life. If you don't know where you're going, you're just going to autopilot and then be like, oh my God, I'm retired. I have all this money, but I can't even walk straight. You left out on all those dreams that you had to travel, all Mm -hmm. those things you had to do. Where's the balance? Therapy teaches you balance. Wow. So the next thing I was about to ask you is this, as men, how can we keep keep in mind from the science perspective, I want you to kind of talk about that, what you were talking about on oh. your podcast, what I learned from the neurosciences aspect of it, because I really loved how, what, you, what you're saying. And I want okay. my listeners to understand that because as men, we also need to be aware of that. Yes. Uh, that what's happening, what's the developmental stage and what's not, what's happening behind the scene in my kid's brain so that we are aware of it. You know, one of my favorite, favorite books is, um, and I have this with me because I always keep it by me. It's called The Body Keeps Course. It was written by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. And he's like an MD who is, you know, a psychiatrist who is very, uh, he specializes in trauma. And I think in the next DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that we use to diagnose people, I'm very not big on diagnosing people because I feel like it's labeling, but I also know that there is a place for it um, because it helps us in treatment and it helps us figure out, you know, what's going on with you and that kind of stuff. 
Um, one of the things from the neuroscience perspective of trauma, and this is why if you have not healed and it, it can get very complex. So I'm trying to, I'm going to make it very simple um, for your listeners so they can understand the depth of this and what, how the brain, because with men, it's like most of the time, not for everybody, but if you if it's from science based, it's more graspable and internalized than if it's just oh she's a therapist, she's a woman, that's great. Well, no, I'm I, I'm not just saying this or making this up. Uh, uh, so when you go through certain things that are traumatic to you, right? Uh, and again, trauma is based on your perception of the event and how you internalize it based on what you know, where you were raised, what you grew up with, what were your issues growing up and the lens of your beliefs. Um, sometimes those beliefs are self-limiting and sometimes those beliefs can really help you be resilient and take you to the other side when you have experienced something because not everybody, and I, as much as I think everybody, everybody goes through trauma in their life, whether they acknowledge it or not, and everybody should be in therapy. I know that's not realistic. And that's one of the reasons why I started my podcast, because I want the work that you do outside of therapy is just as important, the self-work than, you know, that you do in therapy. And that's why, that's where podcasts like yours and mine and the mm -hmm. books we read and the people we surround ourselves with the people we're inspired by come into place, right? The neuroscience of it was, uh, or, or is in terms of trauma. So we experience something, there's a part of our brain called amygdala, which is like the fear center of our brain, which is the survival mecha mechanism of our brain. So it fires off, it's like fight or flight. You know, it's supposed to tell us, um, you know, whether something is about to saber to trigger trying to kill us or not, you know, and it's supposed to send. So then that gets activated when we feel something distressing, right? Or something that happens in our life that is like, oh, she broke up with me what and then that the the sense and that's one of the reasons why i say trauma you can't think yourself way out of the trauma is because um so this very rim, primitive reptilian part of our brain gets ignited first right when that gets you know fired up it said and it's supposed to be only fired up for technically 45 seconds because it tells us it has a place in and there's a reason why it's in place but when you experience something to you that's distressing over time and you don't learn relaxation responses. So there's, so when that part of our real brain is fired up, it sends a message to hippocampus, which is like the learning and the memory part of our brain, right? Hippocampus just happens to be a place where, you know, it, it, so for people who have been experiencing, you know, bad relationships or, you know, terminal illnesses over time, or, you know, lost their loved one and didn't process or grieve that well. Over time, your hippocampus atrophies, and they've shown that in studies where they've done MRIs of people who, whose hippocampus had atrophied over time, who had extended period of stress response, because it's it's fully, uh, it has rem uh, receptors for cortisol, which is the stress hormone in your body, you know, which is all the way in your adrenaline. So hippocampus sends a signal to pituitary that tiger is about to kill you, you know, just go out there and fight or flight, you know, you either freeze or, you know, so if, if, if it's not managed, um, so that happens and then it, it trophies because of cortisol and, you know, flooding of cortisol over time. So your memories get a little off. You can't think straight. You can't, that's a lot of the reasons why you, people who suffer from depression, PTSD, they can't remember things well. They can't focus on task at hand. They can't learn new information easily. You'll be reading a page, but you'll go over the page hundred times and you're like, what did I retain? You know, there's all this brain fog and all those things, right? 
then there is a part of our, your brain, which is uh, insula, which is also affected in people who have trauma. And it's called the appropriation part of our brain, which helps our brain feel into our body. So when we feel cold or when we feel hot or when we, you know, um, feel in our certain things, like brain sends the signal to the body in order to feel things, right? Then there is a cingulate part of your brain, which is the emotional regulation part of your brain. So it just complete, the amygdala sends a signal that, oh, threat, oh my God, oh my God, or, you know, some do something, or that's the part where I tell men that it's okay, one of the biggest things to do is awareness. If you just keep resisting or suppressing the emotions, you're keeping it in your body. Those messages stay in your body. So if our brain is, or our body is made up of all these billions of neurons for every thought we have, there is a neural connection to it. So for a color white, for beach, for, you know, black or for like any, like a jug, there is a neural connection. So the more we pay attention to our thoughts, those neural connections get wider and wider and stronger. So a lot of times what will happen is you'll think about something like, oh, you know what? I suck at life or I can't do anything right. You keep thinking those thoughts as, as a way when we get, when we perceive trauma, there's a certain basic core belief that we find either I'm powerless, I'm unlovable, I'm not enough, I'm helpless, I'm trapped, I'm vulnerable, I couldn't help myself when this was happening, you know, all these different things that we internalize as core beliefs, those neural connections keep growing. So like, I'm thinking about going to a grocery store, all of a sudden I'll think about, oh my God, I just, I, what if I just get hit by a train or uh, hit by a truck? And it's like all these random, th because we keep focusing on those thoughts, those neural connections get bigger and bigger and stronger. And then the emotional regulation part of our brain just misfires. So we'll have all these emotions, but we'll just keep it and keep it and keep it in if we don't address it or if it doesn't surface or if we don't adaptively, you know, take care of those emotions. Um, and there's a whole process to that. So I won't get into that. And the last part is the prefrontal cortex, which is like the thinking area of our brain, the left brain, which is the judgment, the decision-making, the analytical, the logical part of our brain. So when you get hit by a trauma, all these very primitive parts of your brain are triggered first. So the trauma is carried as physical sensations, as you know, um, emotions that we store in our body because it's not that it's all happening in the brain and nothing is connected to the body. People get all these chronic illnesses, like asthma is 50 times exacerbated for people with trauma. You know, all these autoimmune diseases are, you know, a part, some, when you experience pain, like chronic fatigue, autoimmune diseases, you know, all these like stress-related insomnia, you know, all these stress-related diseases happen as a way of, you know, your trauma not being resolved over time. Two thirds of visits to a PCP or emergency room are trauma stress response related. People don't have their stress under control. It, it, it's correlated to less immunity, correlated to lack of sleep, correlated to all these other higher blood pressure and other things that come as a result of higher blood pressure. All these things that happen as a result of your stress not being managed well. And if you just continue to fire up those parts of your brain, so then the amygdala, which was the fear center of your brain or the reptilian part that I mentioned earlier, it sends a signal to your autonomic nervous system, which is, which is comprised of your stress response and your relaxation response. They're supposed to be balanced. Stress is good. It's supposed to teach us. It's supposed to you know, pivot us forward. 
But if it's not balanced with equal amount of relaxation, then you're always just misfiring, 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 misfiring. And the prefrontal cortex doesn't actually develop till we are 27 years old. So a lot of times college kids will come and tell me, it used to be 25 years old, but it's now 27 with studies have shown that. And it's like, I don't know what I wanna be when I grow up, or I don't wanna know what to do with it. The thinking part of your brain doesn't completely develop till you are 27 years old. And thus, a lot of people go through all these major issues in their 20s because they don't know what they're doing. It's like it's like the adolescence of the adulthood. You know, you want to be on your own, but no one gives you a roadmap or a guide. You just figure it out on your own. In the process, you suffer so much through it. Mm -hmm. so, so now that I mean, this is amazing because I'm I just want to get into it because I, I'm a science nerd. <laughs> like like I'm an engineer and I like science stuff. Like I like to <laughs> delve into it. Like like I was just like fascinated of what you're saying. So let's let's talk about uh, what you just said at the end because before I forget, so how can we is uh, how can we be better as a parent or as an adult or as a guardian to help give them the tools for our kids to navigate that during what you said adolescence of adult stage like which is our so developmental trauma so anything that happens between 12 and 27 is very crucial in terms of your child's age and this the and in this time and age you know there's a huge concept of conscious parenting as in, you know, it's like we parent the way we were parented or the way we didn't like being parented. And I always tell people, you know, there are five fingers, they're all different lengths for a reason. Each child is very different than the other. Don't all parent them all the same way first. Second, we learn differently. Some kids are auditory learners, some are visual, some are tactile, they have to do things. Some are, you know, they, so visual auditory, there's all these learning styles. So you have to figure out what, what that child's learning style is and you have to teach them the way they do. If you look at your parenting, sometimes we get mad at our kids and we just do stuff. And then we're like, if you look at yourself as being their teachers, because genuinely they don't know, you know, let them participate in that pair in their parenting. Like one of my biggest things with my child is that I ask him, even if he's two and a half and he hardly he, ha he has good language skills, but I ask him what he wants. I teach him, you're feeling sad, you're feeling mad, you're feeling disappointed. You I am so sorry, but I can't give you this because of this. Not just I told you so, so do it. N that doesn't work. We right. know how, what we've been through it. So we don't, we know that doesn't work, you know? So asking them and involve, if you don't want to do this, then communicate that because you're teaching them how to communicate. You're teaching them, they have emotions. You're teaching them what emotions they are feeling. You know, it's like one of the, one of the things that I tell my cousins, guy cousins who have girls as daughters, you know, it's like one of the things that happens in that teen years of life. It's like the narrative we as men is if, if he even touches you, I'll kill her or I'll kill him. He takes you out for a prom. And I'm just like, don't ever talk to her like that because if he does touch, teach her or if he does touch her in ways that she doesn't need to be touched, you're the last person she's going to come to. Is that what you want? Because that's not healthy for her if she's going through that. So she needs to be able, you need to be able to create a space where they can go to either parent and voice some of those very difficult things and not be scared to come and talk to some of the things that they're going through. What, and if you're fearful of your big feelings, that's exactly why you should be in therapy in the first place. Right. Do not be fearful of things or figure out what you want to do with your fear. fear. Right. You know, listen to podcasts like this, listen to self-improvement 
book, uh, read books that teach you how to better become aware of your emotions, what to do with your emotions when you have them, regulate them so you know how to do, okay, my daughter just told me that I'm freaking out and I'm about to shoot the crap out of this guy in my head, right. but not tell her that I am going through all these things. Um, or you can tell her, you, you can even tell her that, you know what? I'm feeling so angry right now. I'm so glad you came to me and talked to me about this in the first place. Right. Acknowledge that they, they, their concerns are valid. Acknowledge and par address what they're feeling instead of just go talk to your mom or go, you know, th th there's no room to talk about this or you know what, you'll just get over it. It's fine. What do you mean? It's not a big deal. It is a big deal to him or her right. and it matters. That's yeah. why he's coming to you or she's coming to you. So becoming more conscious of what is happening, being a teacher through them, figuring out and being aware of what's going on for you and learning that from somewhere so that you can be conscious in your parenting and not just parent the way you were parented subconsciously. Yeah, I can bring everything in a 360 circle with you because like what you said, like, you know, if I am projecting my fear that I'm going to shoot the crap out of this guy, if he touches you that way and my kid's not going to come and express it to me, yeah. actually what you're saying is, and you actually mentioned that imagine you're going to school when you go to a therapist, you need to be as a parent. I feel like what I take from this conversation, what you just talked about is you literally, I feel like I need to learn to how to be a coach and a therapist for my own kid Absolutely. by going to school. Yes, which is what I did. Right. I mean, I learned it from the best and now I'm paying it forward. Right. You know, so like if you have anger, know that you're feeling angry and you can tell them, thank you so much for coming and talking to me like uh, about this. I'm feeling very angry. Let me just go do some deadlifts. So right. <laughs> it doesn't right. come out on you. <laughs> right, right. And, I, we can both calm down and talk about this and the next steps. What are your feelings? How can I send you to someone that we can get help with? What is happening with you? Are you okay? What can I do to help you through this? Right. I mean, imagine if, and I can totally see my husband doing that with, and sometimes if he doesn't, you know, I, I have, we have to be each other's, you know, balance as in, Hey, you know, like if I get angry, he gets me in check. Like, that's not right. You're taking out your stuff on him. And when he gets angry, you know, so it's not that you don't walk around with that many emotions you want, but you just learn to become more aware of what you're feeling, what's happening. And, you know, not just let's not, talk, because the whole culture is, let's not talk about the elephant in the room. It'll just go away. And everybody is so dysfunctional in the entire family. Yeah. And it's like, it's an avoidance. It's an avoidance behavior because you're trying to avoid that whole thing in the first place. And now when it blows up, now you really don't want to talk about it. You kind of portray that on completely the rest of the world. And then we can go on completely discussing about like victim mentality and all that. So, oh, absolutely. so sticking with the science, I do have a question because I always wanted to understand this. Is there a way we can understand how, who has that fight or flight response as men or as kids or, or as teens so that we can navigate that better as parents? Or so, is it just a really kind of behavioral thing you kind of see who has the fight or flight response or in your practice, have you seen certain patterns? So with most, most of the time, world starts to fall apart. I, I don't care who you are at adolescence. 
most of the time, you know, at from 12 to 18, it's just going to be very rough ride. Right. I mean, well, I don't, everybody just goes through that. If you grew up with parents who were, you know, understanding that you were going through that phase, if the values were set in place, because, you know, okay, so in terms of developmental, they talk about the first three years of your life, you'll do the most amount of learning that you'll ever do. You know, I mean, just learning how to walk, use those muscles. I mean, so once if you've learned how to bike, you never forget that. So going from biking to driving is much easier than going from crawling to walking. I mean, just in terms of science, right? So first three years is just very important in terms of the most amount of learning in everything your child is going to do, right? Then three to seven years is where they learn their values. So you, they, you teach them what, you know, what you grew up with. So, you know, to teaching them right to wrong, incorporating what they want to do, what works for them. Like if my kid wants to sit there and eat lollipop all day, I have to teach him. You know what? No, we get one because I, I, my parenting is one of those. I don't just tell him no for everything because I know that if you, then I ended up being a rebel in my life because I was told no to certain things. And yeah, I'm same like, here. Now I'm just going to go out there and explore. Why not? Right. But I, I didn't, I don't want that for him. So I, I want to teach him balance as in, okay, you can have one lollipop, but if you have more, all your teeth will fall off. Or because it's like, I try to think of it as if you drive fast, you get a ticket. I want to teach him that in life. You don't just get whatever you want. You have to earn it and you have to wait the patience. That starts at two years old. We don't mm -hmm. think about those things as parenting, but those lessons are very important then for why you, and most of the time we, we, we don't have time. We are going through our own stuff. So we don't want to ask those curious, you know, we don't want to teach those why questions. Sometimes we almost like, you know, shut the lid on the, their creativity and the people they could become because we don't have time for why we mm -hmm. don't know why Google it now, you know, it's like at this point. So the, the first seven years are important for values. Then after that, the, preteen years are when it's about what are other people doing and at that point one of the biggest things we can do as parents is not compare them to other kids as in he's doing that they are doing that you know so you have to do this too the narrative should be what is it that they want to do and why and why is it important that their friends liking them you know affects them so much because you know they've seen that in the teen years there's a really good movie that I ended up watching called Social Dilemma on Netflix. And it's such an amazing recommend because it's like, we have all this access to technology. We have to teach kids what humane technology is because mm -hmm. their self-esteem comes from how many of my friends like me, how many of her friends follow me. 72% rise in preteen suicide rates and teen suicide rates, 171% increase in the last 10 years. So imagine if your adolescence is a place where you're just going to not feel right or be right, whether it's your own doing, whether it's your parents not supporting you, you know, sometimes you just, you have to do what you have to do. Kids don't want structure, but it's important for them. And you have to be able to give them a reason why that structure is important for this developmental phase of their life. Sometimes they may not agree with that, but that's okay. We have to teach them to be okay and hold space for, sometimes you don't agree with everybody or everything, 
but you still be able, you have to be able to hold space for other people's values and other people's opinion. It's okay that you're feeling this way. We'll just agree to disagree. And that's okay. We don't have to, you, we don't have to agree because we're a parent and child all the time. It's not normal to agree all the time. It's unrealistic. Yeah. And I think like I, I speak to that too, as especially again, there's a lot of cultural aspects side of too, like um, growing up in, of course, in South Asian culture, South Asian culture, Southeast Asian culture sees um, that we have to like uh, keep our mouth shut, even if yeah. we don't agree because, because it's out of respect. I allow That's, that dialogue. Yes. Right? You can still say it, but teach them to be more articulate. Right. You know, we were not taught to be more articulate. I still am very strong opinionated, obviously, from the past hour, if you could tell. I, I, I have things to say. I was not always like that. I was very timid. I, oh, my God, if I got in front of the people, I would fall apart. I mean, I would literally piss if I ever had. And my mother used to put me in all these personality development classes, you know, public <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God. But anyways, so those times of, I'm, and I'm so glad she, that looking back, she did that now. Because if she wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be here where I am today. Right. So sometimes kids don't like that, but that structure is important. Like you have to learn, like my kid, he shows up from school. He knows where the laundry is. He knows where to put the shoes. He knows. And I know sometimes that'll change. But for right now, as a parent, I have to teach him that his values can be different when he's on his own or once he starts getting in the adolescent phase, which it's going to be, and that's fine. But if I'm very rigid, then there's a lot of turf. And then the kids are like always in that fight or flight because there's all this unresolved stuff that they're going through and they don't know who to voice it to. So I always recommend it to my, I was actually just having a conversation with my sister this morning that knowing what I do, I'm sure at some point I will F up my kid. But I know I can take him to therapy. I can send him to people. I can un- unknowingly, sometimes I will do things that might not sit right with him. So there's always that room for error, but I know where to send him to so that he can be whole and he doesn't have to walk around, walk, you know, life feeling broken or there's something wrong with him because that's what starts at adolescence. I'm not enough. I can't do this. I'm not meant to do this. Nobody likes me. And that narrative goes on into your twenties if it's not fixed quite early on. So I think like, that's one of the things that I also noticed, like, right. Like I talk about this too, uh, is, um, and I I see what you kind of talking about is as, as parents, it's not just about having, like, I I see parents all the time talking about, oh yeah. uh, Oh, hold on. There's times coming. Like, as you said, uh, you know, adolescence in much a scientific way, but you also are talking about the tools and the general concept of this, uh, again, it's a society. It's, it, I f- still feel like there's micro stigma, what I like to call it. Like we don't think too much about it because it's not that harmless. We are still talking about like just the problem. Like, oh yeah, I mean, when they grow up at 10 and d- between that, forget it. Instead of saying that, well, we know that's coming. Let's exactly. have those tools. Preventative instead of reactive. That's exactly. like my thing that I preach on my podcast because it's like if you can just be more informed by plugging into mediums like this it's like we react when things happen oh first we stay in denial oh suicide is not going to happen in our family well 171 percent statistic just didn't become a statistic people are going through it your family could be one of those people Mm -hmm. so being ignorant is not an it's not bliss so 
it could happen just like you know i used to be very big on uh, i used to serve red cross when i was living in manhattan in that part of my life and we used to talk about emergency bags like you just don't think you know you're gonna run out and not expect your house to never be on fire you hope it's never gonna happen to you but if it happens you're the only one on the block prepared with all this stuff ready to go and your emergency bag ready five seconds you're out the door Whereas the rest of the people are trying to, you know, scrounge around when it's happening. So why wait for the count, uh, crisis? Instead, be informed and educate yourself. Just know what to do. So don't think this is not coming. It's coming to all of us. The adolescence will happen, whether you like it or not. So, you know, it's really important that we learn and prepare for the behaviors or their feelings or their big things that are coming so that you know what to do when that happens. Right. And I think like, so asking your question uh, from the professional standpoint, is it a good thing to start talking to your kids right around when they enter that stage? I talk to my kid when he's two and he doesn't even talk right yet. You have to talk about things to your kids. Ask, have a lot of discussions. It makes them more emotionally intelligent in spite of being just intellectually intelligent. Mm -hmm. It's really important to tell them why. It's really important to talk to them about what they're feeling, how they're feeling, why are they feeling what they're feeling? What can you do and your feelings so that they're like, oh, mommy's angry. Sorry, mommy. He'll tell me that. Sorry, mommy. And I'm like, it's okay. And then sometimes you'll tell me sorry too much. And I'm like, no, no, don't be sorry for this. There's no need to be over apologetic either. So right. we talk about these things, not just when they're 10, when they're very young. Right. Not oh, when it happens, as it's happening. Oh, I do that a lot. Like I have a two and a half, like uh, he's going to turn three in December. Yeah. But we talk about this all the time. Like literally as of yesterday, he thought like, oh, if he says, sorry, I'm going to get a hug. So he got into this pattern and I had to kind of stop him. Like, well, that was done. Yes. No more saying sorry about that. Like, that's okay. Exactly. I'm going to give you a hug anyway. So just exactly. saying, you know, I need a hug. But see, you 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 taught him that, that right. because he learned, he associated hug with sorry, right. and then he was over apologetic, but you actually had a conversation about it. We as society right. don't address elephant in the room hoping it won't happen or it's not happening. Address just like you did. It's mm -hmm. so important because you teach them. You are teaching them to be more positively optimistic too much positivity is not good either because there's a whole concept of toxic positivity, mm -hmm. but emotionally just intelligent, not acknowledging emotions or not acknowledging behaviors can lead to very bad maladaptive things. Right. So my next question to you is before I uh, change gear and actually get into our last topic is, okay, so our generation, you and me, we are both 40s and uh, we are trying to break the cycles, uh, not just from cultural perspective, also from the perspective that we faced from our parents and due respect, I mean, we love our parents, but Absolutely. again, as you said, like there's always that thing that they haven't even learned. So that's why they, now we know better. So we are trying to do better for our kids. How would you say, or what would you say to parents or dads or men or women even to protect our, our kids from our parents, like their grandparents, like, because that is there. Absolutely. And it's going to be there and, if you don't take care of it. And what that's what you do so message. that they are not confused. Like, hold on a minute. My mom and dad is telling me, but my, I'm listening something else from grandpa, grandpa, or, you know, uh, so how, how would you kind of say that? Uh, tackle so, that? so we, uh, so, okay. So 
one of the biggest things in breaking the cycle is that I'm not saying that we don't accept anything that our parents did. You know, they did with the best that they knew how and the, the way they could, right? Mm -hmm. We took what we wanted from them. Let's not, you know, let's not take everything from them. We take what works, what, what, what we want in our generation and that works with where we are at and aligning ourselves to our vision. But let's break the cycle on the things that are not working, on the things that are not adaptive, on the things that don't need to be passed on. You know, like there are certain values that they had that work for their time. That doesn't work for our time. So it's important to recognize that that's happening. And second, in terms of breaking the cycle, it's like this would be a perfect place to start analyzing and understanding where you are at. Like, do you, are you, do you feel accomplished in all these different areas of your life, in your family, in your career, in your parenting, in your romantic, in your hobbies, in your, you know, whatever, all the spiritual, in your, you know, um, different er emotional areas of your life? If you don't, if you feel that, you know, that's one of the things that I have people do actually for men when they come in and, you know, they're not ready to address those big emotions or EMDR just yet is just by presenting them with like this goals chart that I have, I'm more than happy to send you a copy of that for your show notes if people want to look at it. But it's like you, you rate your life and you figure out where you're at in some areas, some areas you're soaring, some areas you really need some help and need work to do. So I really think that it's important to figure out where you're at in some areas of your life. And then analyze where how you could improve on those areas and start seeking out you know help or places or uh, plugging into things that you can get better too. But like you were saying, you know, let's say if your parents were raising your children a certain way and you disagreed, your question was how can you break that cycle by saying. Um, so I'll give you an example. Like if my mom, you know, teaches Avik certain things. And I have a variation of how I would do parenting. I wouldn't negate her by saying, oh, no, don't listen to Nani. This is what we do, you know, because then that's teaching him that it's OK to disrespect her. But we communicate about it. It's like. The, it's not that you don't listen to Nani, but it's just that here where we are at or where we live, this doesn't work for us because like if my mom is like, just give him lollipop. And I'm like, that's not how you raise me. But if it's your grandchild, it's a whole different ball game. You know, it's like all these slides that we never got as, you know, children. And I'm just like, oh, okay, that's a little interesting, but that's fine. So she does stuff, but then I, I, I step in and I educate my parents on that. It's like, mom, what worked for you guys doesn't work because if you do this, then it overrides what I'm trying to do with him. And you guys don't live with us every day. So imagine the impact that your behavior of just, okay, because he, he's little, he's two and a half, three. So he doesn't understand that in some situations this happened, in some situations, something else happens. And children don't understand that, you know? So mm -hmm. it's not that you override your parents or disrespect your parents blatantly, but you explain to your child and you also, you communicate with your child and you also communicate with your parents as in why it's not working. You know, when we were 20, we could never back talk. But now I have my opinion and I'll cast it to my parents and we can agree to disagree and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I think like that's, that's, that's basically what I was trying to get to. So I think you explained it to very clearly, like it's just communicating and uh, not just to your kids. You also have a responsibility of communicating back to your parents. Because our parents that, hey, never did that with us. I'm they here don't to break explain. the cycle. They just like, tell. 
Yeah. They're objects. They create you. You're an object. You tell right. them. What to do. Right. No, we don't tell them what to do in parenting. That doesn't work anymore. It right. used to, but we, we don't produce objects. We produce children and we teach them. We, we, there are other human beings that are going to be socially connected to other people. So we have to teach them these skills that we were just expected to just learn as life gave us those tests. Mm -hmm. Wow. So to end the topic in <laughs> the conversation, I mean, by the way, I mean, this is amazing. I, I really <laughs> are loving it because again, yeah. I, this is what I wanted for my season two is like, I want to talk about season one, we talked about, we raised awareness and mm -hmm. we will still keep raising awareness, but season two, my thing was like really diving deep Absolutely. into the background of it. Like we talk about trauma, we talk about grief, we talk about avoidance behavior, we talk about vulnerability. What are these? Like from the science standpoint, right? Like people, we need to understand only way we can learn once we understand the in-depth behavior, why my behavior is happening and what's causing it. Then Absolutely. only we can go to the roots. So Absolutely. I'm loving this conversation. So thank, thank you for you. bringing all these knowledge uh, to my platform and to my audience. Oh, it's what been the biggest really thing. I could keep talking forever. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I think like I will, I will again bring you uh, for another uh, segment because my my mind is turning in terms of modalities. So oh, right. watch out for that. Oh yeah, I'm actually going to have EMDR. So I'm going to do an episode on that because I just got done talking to a woman where she got talked about EMDR and my solo episode, which is going to be 20 25 minutes. I want okay. to explain EMDR because I love it so much. So I'll send you that information and you sure. can talk about that. So hopefully. Okay. So to cap it off, like, so again, all this stigma, everything that we are talking about today, you and I both know culture plays an important role. Oh, absolutely. Right. Uh, now we have added another layer of difficulty for men. I'm just talking mm -hmm. about men, uh, yep, specific yep. geared, because we are already with this man up stigma. Yeah. Now the adding a culture yep. or the socioeconomic background that we are grown up how do you think for the next generation, I think it's more of a hypothetical question, not necessarily generated towards a specific demographics. Uh, how do you think we, as a society, we as a, as a common uh, thread come together as a community come together and address that, like in terms of help men, uh, not just get over their man up, but help them understand how culture is playing a role and be aware of it and then kind of understand and then unlearn that behavior? Very good question. Um, because, you know, I think just growing up in America and the narrative that I grew up when I was in my teens, it's like, oh, we're all the same color and we're all the same. And, you know, <laughs> I grew up as brown color and I'm just like, no, we're not all the same, but the other people didn't get that. Now it's so much more prevalent in this right, year, especially right. than we've ever seen before. And one of the things that my, um, training was very heavily focused was on multicultural issues. And I'm so glad that we talked about our differences and it's okay that our differences exist. Let's not act like we're all the same color because we're not all the same color because our color plays a big role on how we were raised, on how who we were raised with, and then that lens that we bring in, and especially, you know, in the Indian, Latino, the black community, we, especially men, we don't seek help. We don't, the narrative is we, because a lot of times I'll go on podcasts where, you know, with people um, like yourself, 
men from the you know minority cultures um, now trying to normalize stigma and mental health in their own communities. Um, and it's amazing that finally men are starting to do this because it's not that men don't have these issues. It's just that the narrative is man up, man, boys don't cry. So don't ever teach your boy that please, because that's mm. not okay. Crying actually has a whole, you know, there's a, you, since you like science, I'm just going to tell you a little bit <laughs> about crying. It's like there were studies done where apparently they studied that all, when you go through trauma or when you go through a heavy emotional distressing moment, your tears care. They studied the the microscopically studied tears, and they saw that there were all these neurotoxins that the brain needs to release that comes out in our tears as a way of processing our our emotions. So when you're crying, you're it's a it's a way for your emotions to flush from your brain into your uh, you know to flush all those toxins out. So you know when we go pee or poop, we don't think about, oh, why is this happening? But crying is the same thing for the brain. So um, the narrative of, oh, uh, men don't cry, it's really wrong because it can have a very detrimental effect into your emotion or the brain part of your body. And the culture is that, you know, men don't seek help. Um, so again, it, it goes back to the stigma and, you know, how we teach that narrative to our children. Like, you know, let's say all these, the the CEOs of all these major corporations, right? Do you, do you think that they just um, are solo and they don't have their, you know, advisory committee and all these boards and people that they're associated with to make that company or brand better? You, if you start looking at yourself as a brand, and if you start thinking of yourself as in, I have to connect to all these different people in order to be my best version or my best brand, you can function on your own. You have to have other people in your life to connect you, to bring you resources who are meant to connect you, to take you to the next place of your life, right? So all these CEOs, do you really think they just sit around and twindle their thumbs? They have all these books that they read. They have all these disciplines. They have all these habits. They have all these coaches that they pay so much to become that person, you know, to be able to run an organization so big. So if you start looking as a man, if you start looking at your, as yourself as a brand, and if you say, I have to go to a coach to make myself, you know, deal with certain things that I am not able to figure out on my own, you are becoming a better brand for your family and for your children and your future generations. Mm -hmm. So wow. as a culture, if we're taught men are weak, men are, you know, we can break those cycles by saying, Yes, that was before, but now I have to be the breast brand for my child and for all the legacy that my ancestors are leaving me. And for that, if I need to go out there and seek help to un undo or resolve some of the stuff that I've been through, to me, healing is when you think of an event and you don't have any charge related to it. If you say, no, no, I don't feel anything. That in itself is a problem. Mm -hmm. You do feel things, good or bad. I, I've, I feel at peace with my trauma. I do not not feel anything. I have moved forward. I have not moved on. I have, the narrative is, 
if you don't have charge related to something that you've been through before, then you have processed it, you've worked through it, and you have come to a place of forgiveness for yourself and others with that event. But if none of that was happening, that or is happening, then you need to go figure it for figure out your stuff so that you don't pass it on to your next generations. I love it. I love it because I, I think like one of the thing I talked about too is like I felt when in my journey is a uh, uh, people ask me like so you you are you are over with your trauma. I'm like you are never over on your trauma. Yeah. You just know how to understand. You forgive. You understand yes. what happened. You don't yes. do about it. You don't, you are not there. But yes. you have a lot of respect of that trauma because right. you have suffered through it. Now yes. you are taking that and use it as a purpose. You exactly. have turned that into a purpose. Exactly. You exactly. don't. You don't forget it. You, oh, absolutely not. You will never forget. Just forget it. it. No, yeah, yeah. you don't. And the, things like hypnosis, EMDR, they don't make you forget things. No. They make you. It's like I, I look at it as. You know, you have a puzzle that all the pieces are supposed to go in together to make it a beautiful picture. If while you're going through certain traumatic events, like I was telling you, the neuroscience of hippocampus and the memory, you know, if there are certain mismatched pieces that are not able to fit in because of whatever it is that you've been through, you need to figure out what you want, what you need to do with those mismatched pieces so that the other end of it looks like a beautiful picture or something that you can make sense of. These treatments, these therapy, the idea of therapy is to help you reprogram and help you bring things to peace so that you don't just forget things, but it teaches you the lessons that you didn't know before as you were going through it. And it teaches Mm -hmm. you forgiveness. It teaches you acceptance. It teaches you how to be at peace with things instead of constantly living with that battle in your head. Awesome. Awesome. Gunjanir, this is, this is amazing. (laughs) I'm, I'm honestly, I'm blown away because I'm just like, I took so many notes. I was like, okay, definitely there will be a segment two with you because I want to talk, get into all that. Um, So I want to close this off with one question and with season two, I'm doing a little differently. Uh, So if you have to redefine the word man up, what's your ideal version of man up, redefining this word for future generations? My ideal, that narrative, I would change it to what I was mentioning earlier is, in, I, I don't even know what that means at this point, because it's like, we don't say, you know, when females are giving birth, we don't say female up. You know, it's, I don't understand that. But to me, the narrative that I would like to leave people with is that men showing or feeling vulnerability is very sexy. Most of the time you end up with your partner is because they accept you for everything that you are. The world may not. Mm-hmm. You don't need, to, so let's create a world where everybody accepts men showing and and feeling vulnerable and being sexy why is it that other people why is it that we have so much judgment for other people based on how they feel whether mm-hmm. they're males or whether they're females it doesn't matter the, our acceptance should be they're feeling emotions and that's okay women are looked down she's very emotional she has emotions and she expresses it Mm-hmm. let's change our narrative let's change the way we talk about people and to people 
Let's change the way we address people. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So with this, I will uh, end the episode today. Gunjani, thank you again so much for coming to uh, my podcast. Guys, so I hope you guys took a lot of wisdoms, a lot of nuggets, and a lot of notes, um, if you are like me, because I did. (laughs) And I hope you guys are uh, getting a glimpse of what uh, season two on Dads at Deadlifts will look like. We will really uh, dive deep into uh, some of these behaviors that we talked about, 16 episodes, and you heard from all these uh, wonderful people uh, over past 16 episodes. We're going to get into more science and scientific behavioral and more of a deeper look into how these behaviors are caused and and what kind of tools do we need to uh, combat those and be a better version. So with that, thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. Your host, Rish, signing off, and I will talk to you guys again with another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. Till then, remember, you are not alone and reach out if you need anything. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.